Our response to the climate and ecological crisis requires heaps of innovation. We need to transform entire industries, reskill the workforce and create new jobs. That's one huge challenge, but one giant opportunity. But how does this affect you and your sector? Content with Purpose partners with professional member associations and trade bodies to delve into the future of their industries, asking the tough questions and showcasing the innovation propelling our net zero ambitions. Subscribe to this podcast to learn how the professionals in those industries are contributing towards our collective effort to reach net zero and a more sustainable and prosperous future. Material Change Resourcing Net Zero. Welcome to Material Change, Resourcing Net Zero, which is an IOM3 and Content with Purpose podcast series exploring the essential role of the materials, minerals and mining communities in addressing the climate crisis and achieving net zero targets. Now, there are obviously lots of aspects to the sh- of the shift to net zero, and a lot of them are things like changes in perspective and values and expectations. And we already know that we can get a long way with the tools and technology that we already have. However, shuffling the existing deck isn't going to be enough. We do need innovation as well. And so we need to think about new and different ways to do things, new technologies and systems. And we also need to allow the space to experiment in order to find out what works. And that is the subject of today's podcast, Innovation in Action in the Materials Industry. What's happening, what needs to happen, and what are the current obstacles? Now, as always, we have two guests on the podcast to dig into these issues. So let's meet our first guest this week, and that is Catherine Bennett, who is the CEO of the High Value Manufacturing Catapult. Um, Catherine, let's start with, so this this is a, there's a lot of new words. There's all these new organisations and some of that have been around for a long time. Um, but let's just, to start with, introduce what, what the High Value Manufacturing Catapult is, and then perhaps tell us what, what your role entails. Yeah, thanks, Helen, and thank, thanks very much for the invitation to join you today. So yes, it's a long name, uh, my organisation. We often shorten it to say HVM Catapult, but that that just becomes more letters, doesn't it? Um, So yeah, what are we? We're all about innovation and particularly helping the manufacturing community. We were set up back in 2011 by the government and Innovate UK, and we're all about bridging the gap between academia and the business world. So we're made up of seven centres across the UK, 22 sites, three and a half thousand employees, all of whom are laser focused on helping manufacturers with innovation, whether it's showing them how to use new equipment, new kit. Um, Some companies are a bit scared of innovation. It's a bit risky. So we try and help them, um, encourage them and also convene lots of opportunities for business to work together. And and you what what do you do you have a particular focus or are you just kind of running the whole show? So I have the honour of running the whole show in so many respects, but each one of the centres, some of whom are based at universities, um, are also organisations in their own right. So the role I play is to sort of convene them all, and I work very closely with Innovate UK, who are our primary funder. And um, we hear the word innovation a lot. It's one of those things that, you know, in a, we have a very tech focused world and everyone's keen on innovation. But specifically, could you just sort of over, set out what it what, what's the breadth of things that it means and, and where is help most needed with encouraging innovation along? Well, as I said, um, innovation is often regarded as a risky thing. And uh, we're endeavouring to ensure that companies do you know, do more. Um, As a UK, we don't stack, as a country, we don't stack well in the UK compared to other countries. And we could come on to that a bit later. It's in a, a complicated ecosystem. There's many 
opportunities for organisations to get support and we're doing our best to work with our partners to try and make it a bit more straightforward. And basically, in a nutshell, innovation is all about research and technology, encouraging researchers and scientists and designers and maybe people from other skills to work together to find solutions. As you may know, Helen and Emma, engineers um, love to solve challenges. They love to have problems presented to them and our organisation aims to encourage that solution finding brilliant well we had we got a sneak preview there because you referred to our other guest today so let's meet our second guest which um, and that is dr emma wilcox who is chair of the S sustainable development group at iom3 um so emma same sort of question to you to start off with the sustainable development group another reasonably long title um, tell us what that is and what your particular focus is yeah hi helen hi catherine um, so the Sustainable Development Group within IOM3 is one of the a kind of myriad of technical communities that exist. And it's like-minded people who've, who've come together to discuss and consider and hopefully provide some, um, some good input into the materials challenges around sustainability, uh, which we know are vast. Uh, so, yeah, so that's, that's who we are. Um, and what do you think is needed in the immediate future, when it comes to, like, what, when you look at the innovation landscape and the materials world, what, what do you see? What's necessary and what's most, what would you, what, what sort of needs to be prioritised? Um, Emma first, then perhaps Catherine. Yeah, so it's in, an interesting question. I mean, lots and lots of things are needed um, urgently um, and in the long term. If I'm, if I'm really honest, I think one of the things we need is some clarity and a big dose of honesty around some of these things as well. Um, if we look at all of the plans and all of the targets that we have, um, they are really difficult to deliver and materials plays a massive part in those things and it often is um, a forgotten element. So we'll hear talk of people talk about electrification or we'll hear people talking about uh, changing things, but actually the materials implications in that is often missed subject if we just look at cop with what's going on at the moment it's not really has the prominence of some other subjects so i think um, a big dose of honesty and a big open conversation about how do we address some of those challenges from a materials point of view um, and catherine what, what what's your view on the if you're looking at the innovation landscape you know what what do we what do we need what what's it look like out there well, with respect to um, the manufacturing sector, um, and as I said earlier, we, we our whole role is to convene business and academia. I, I really want to answer that question by talking about our academic base here in the UK. Now, I, I think we should all be very proud. We're world class. We have you know world leading universities based here, um, and so therefore that's a good place to 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 be in terms of uh, supporting the invention of, of further materials, advanced materials. And something I'm particularly interested in and um, always banging the drum on this is how good we are at design. So industrial design, it needs to be shouted out a little bit more. There's a great line that I read the other day by the French uh, jewellery designer, and glass designer Lalique, who talked about a creator industrialist. And I think that's something that we really need to remember and be proud of. So what I wanted to say about the academic community, though, Helen, is that so we're good at the theory. We, we get we get world leading research papers, but perhaps what we're not so good at is translating that into industrial impact. As Emma just said, let's be honest, we need to do it better. So we're home to three of the top 10 universities worldwide, um, but we don't seem to punch our weight 
quite the right way on advanced materials strategy and that's something that we're keen to do to work with the organisations who might be listening to this podcast. Material change, resourcing net zero. This episode is sponsored by BP ICAM and Satala. BP ICAM is a partnership between BP and leading universities to enable the effective application of advanced materials for the transition to net zero. Satala provides sustainability and risk management services. Its global network of experts supports organizations in making practical risk-based decisions and taking action for sustainable outcomes. You can learn more about their work on our digital series website, materialchange.iom3.org. Material Change. Resourcing net zero. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, I, I'm, I'm an academic. I work in an engineering faculty. And so we're looking at the same problem from the other direction. And I think what I see is a lot of goodwill to, to join these things up. But it's quite hard in practice to, to make the system work, to actually get that done. You know, different incentives and timescales and priorities, all of that stuff. And um, so what when it comes to... so obstacles to you know it's it's very easy especially you know you look at sort of culture and films and it just seems as though people just invent things all the time and and it's sort of true but there are also obstacles right so what 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 are the current obstacles to innovation in in the UK in in the materials um sector so uh, one of the things you know we have a big SME community in the UK I mean you know far far outnumber in terms of the number of businesses than the larger companies and there's a huge variety of them um, but they do struggle to access the all-important word funding and capital um, now my organization since our inception we've worked with around 14,000 SMEs on various support mechanisms on improving their leadership skills, their technical skills, um, how to put a manufacturing line together. But actually, maybe there's more that can be done on helping them in this all-important area on advanced materials. So that's one attitude. Um, The other thing is we do have to look overseas and see how other countries handle this. Um, So obviously the well-known names of uh, Japan, China, Korea, they do have an advanced materials strategy and we need to maybe look at how they do things. They have a very much forward-looking, a long-term strategy. And, and as you said, Helen, you know, it is important that science and engineering work together more. Um, and you know, we need to work together in partnership and, and obviously then generate that confidence from investors and, of course, government partners to help us get the UK more on the road uh, following those other countries I've mentioned. And Emma, do you see particular obstacles to um, both innovation happening and, and, and then getting it to the users? Uh, yeah, I mean, I completely agree with what Catherine just said with lots of things, right, from the engineers are great problem solvers through uh, our world-class um, academia and, and also not being so great at the getting those ideas out and about. And this isn't a new issue um, either, I think some of the some of those barriers, funding, money is always an issue. Uh, we are traditionally quite a risk averse uh, country, um, so I think that kind of risk management and fear of failure, um, not not recognising that actually it's okay if something goes goes wrong as long as you learn from it and and move on to the next one. That's where some of our best inventions and innovations have, have come from. So I think there's a cultural piece around it as well. But of course money always plays a part and I wholeheartedly echo the need for long-term strategy Um, and often with lots and lots of things we 
Our, our strategies obviously are, uh, stem from government in a five-year cycle because of our parliamentary um, and our government terms. And that stops that kind of longer-term investment, that longer-term reach that people often need for these areas as well. Well, we certainly we're hearing that a lot on this podcast. I think that there is a real desire from the materials community for for some sort of strategy to um, to provide a roadmap. Um, I'm inter- I'm going to put both of you on the spot here for a second because I think you know often with these things, it's there's a lot of words that go around, and, and and sometimes it's nice to have some specific examples. And I wondered if um, either or both of you could pick up on on an on an innovation example that we can learn from. So either where it worked or perhaps where it didn't, where there's something you know some particular technique or a um, a company that did something where you you can look at it and say, look, well this is they did this, and this is what we learned from it. Is it is it easy? Maybe this is being mean, but could you both pick an example of that sort of thing? Um, Catherine, do you want to go first? Well, if you forgive me, my example isn't necessarily in the advanced material space, but I think it can help make a point, if that's okay. So um, the catapult that I have the honour of leading were extremely engaged in um, support around the pandemic. Um, So whilst it was a horrific thing for us all to have gone through, um, there were actually huge amounts of collaboration examples of maybe doing just exactly what we're talking about here today on this podcast. So one example, of course, is the work that um, we did convening manufacturers to get together to build ventilators for the NHS. So it was an incredible achievement. I was working at Airbus at the time and Airbus are very involved. So we created 14,500 ventilators for the NHS in the space of 12 and a half weeks. Now that's, an outsta- that's lots of stats for you, but that's an outstanding figure considering that usually it would have taken 20 years. Now the story on that and why it's relevant for today is the collaboration um, techniques that we learned, whether it's using more digital sharing of information, also problem solving, like I said earlier, we had to source these parts and supplies from all over the world during the pandemic. It's amazing what you can do when you will put your shoulder behind the wheel. And there were other examples, of course, some of our centres were involved in supporting SMEs on PPE manufacture, which did involve having to find raw materials and maybe look elsewhere. Um, There's also some very specific materials, examples I could quickly give you, you'll let me. Um, So um, so a couple of our centres, the AMRC in Sheffield and the National Composite Centre in Bristol, are working together very closely on particular projects to do with hydrogen and the use of hydrogen tanks. Um, And maybe reusing materials that's been used before so there's there's quite a lot going on um and you know it's exciting there's great energy but we just need to have that long-term roadmap well i think it's very i mean the the pandemic obviously no one would have asked for that but one of the thin silver linings i guess is that as you say a lesson came from it which, which was that if you really want to do it you can do it and you can do it quickly and i think it's it's very interesting because it's interesting how quickly that there has been a bit of a slide back to oh well this is going to take five years you know you hear people telling environmental protesters you know you can't change the system overnight and now they can point the finger and go well you like the world literally changed overnight you know you had people making but if you want to do it you can do it and I think I think that's a really important message Emma do you have um, an example you could share with us with the things we can learn from it um, I'm going to pick two and be very naughty, so I hope that's okay. Uh, the, the, the first one um, I would pick as an organisation, which is 3M, who are particularly well known for um, innovation and new products coming through. And for me, what we can learn from them is that culture of the organisation is set into their targets, that people um, 
need to be innovative, they're given time to do it, and a set amount of their income uh, from their products needs to come from new products. So that whole culture of the organisation stems around innovation, almost giving people permission um, and a requirement to do it. And I think we can learn a lot from, from that from an organisation. Um, my, my second example, I'm also going to pick something from the pandemic, which is how businesses um, adapted their ways of working and their processes to address the reality of the situation. So if we look at all of the, the kind of pubs and cafes and restaurants who are, overnight had their businesses closed down and had to find another way of working to support their communities and their customers. So um, I think two things from that. One is there was a very urgent need. As we say, the world changed overnight. Um, but, but also lots of the rules were very quickly changed and kind of that bureaucracy got out of the way to enable people to set up things outside on pavements or do deliveries or whatever else it may be as well. So again, some of those rules that were uh, restraining businesses were very quickly removed and there was a very urgent need as well. Um, and I think we can learn lessons from all of those examples. Well, that's the other big thing we see in society, isn't it? That people sort of forget that the system is there to work for them, not the other way around. I mean, it's very easy, I think, especially in, in businesses that are, you know, that, that work on a fixed, a known cycle and, and you kind of know where you are from year to year, that actually the system is not this unchangeable monster that you just have to feed. Like the system is just there to organise getting stuff done. And if the system doesn't let you get stuff done, you need to change the system. <laughs> it's a sort of, it's a mind shift, isn't it? It, it? it is. And I think a lot of innovation needs to come from changing processes, not just changing products. Um, and looking where there's waste in systems and where where rules are. I mean, we're uh, in the UK, we love rules <laughs> and we love to follow rules. <laughs> but actually, we need to break some of those sometimes and have it OK to break some of those rules sometimes. I was at an aviation cons conference recently and I heard that, um, um, you know, before the pandemic, to sign an aircraft deal, you used to have to get lots of lawyers to sign lots of bits of paper. And because of the pandemic, obviously, we were all able to use you know, DocuSign or the equivalents. And, you know, there's a big aim and ambition, I know, in business that we don't have to go back to maybe some of that historical behaviour. And I hope that that can help us with the advanced materials sector as well. Well, I hope that's coming because at some point during the pandemic, I was dealing with a, a lawyer in some context and they wanted to send a fax. And I was like, it's, it's 2020. Have we not moved on from faxes? But <laughs> apparently some people still use faxes. Who knew? Now, I'm interested in... Um, Whose responsibility innovation is? Because there's these two, there's typically there's seen as being these two routes that government can fund basic things. The government can basically put in seed funding. They can say, we are going to prioritise this industry or this sector or this particular challenge. It's usually universities who pick up that thing and they will, okay, we're going we're gonna to establish some basic processes and then everybody gets to benefit from them. And then there's this thing where companies, you know, do their own R&D, they do their own processes. Um, but then that is perhaps not as visible to everybody else because it's then their work and you know they've put in the effort they want to benefit from it so how how much how is innovation balanced between these two things how much do we need open transparent publicly funded innovation that is that everyone can benefit from that the government kind of backs and how much is it just you know businesses need to get on and do whatever they need to do um, and we just need to get on quickly and, and move um Catherine first perhaps yeah, I mean, I, I don't so, certainly don't want to go down the route of saying, well, the government has to help us with everything. And I know you weren't ever suggesting that with your question, Helen, but um, I, I, you know, we do have to remember that in the innovation strategy that was published by the UK government in July last year, 
Um, advanced materials and manufacturing were absolutely one of what they called the seven technology families. And they did talk about working with the industry on a strategy. Now, we, we are waiting for that. But actually, we're not just sitting back and waiting for them to do this because they've got other things they're focusing on too. So the bit most important thing is, um, and I know this is possible through the organisations with whom we're working, um, is, you know, getting around a table and working on this together. So one of the organisations we work with very closely at the High Value Manufacturing Catapult is the Royce Institute and the Graphene Institute. Um, and I know they're particularly focused and really driving some work on this. So it's all to do with different types of materials, whether it's working better with AI and digital or electronics, of course, which one of our other centres specialises in, photonics, um, energy solutions, and of course, robotics. So there's lots of different parts of the advanced materials sector. But um, So it's not just sitting back and waiting for the government, but I think the government obviously does have a role in convening. So we're not meant to use the word industrial strategy anymore, but you know there is a need for this government convening power, which they can do. Um, and, and you're right, um, there's the university work that, that's obviously continuing a really important part of the energy engineering faculties. And there are companies who are also doing their own thing. And it's maybe just a little bit more transparency that's needed so that a company in, in Dartford can find out what another company in Edinburgh is doing. There must be a way of sharing information. So I'm interested in um, what's different about innovation for net zero. So, I mean, obviously, business, you know, in some sense, some parts of this conversation, we kind of could have had 10 years ago, right? You know, businesses are innovating, they want to know how to do it, fine, right? What is different about innovating for sustainability or for net zero, however you phrase it? Like, is is this a is there is, does there have to be a very different way of thinking about on and incentivizing this kind of innovation, or is it just kind of the same kind of thing but sort of pointed in a different direction? And Emma, you know, because because of your your particular role, uh, let's start with you on this. How is how is innovation for sustainability different? Um, I think if we go back to your last question and and kind of come at it from that way so for me it's a spectrum some things um businesses will absolutely come up with their own uh, innovation create a product or a service and sell it and people will buy it and that funds more uh more r&d for for whatever they're going to do next you've got the other end of the spectrum where you've got government recognize that there's a market failure or there's a public need and businesses wouldn't invest in that so government needs to step in and then there's this whole spectrum in between where actually where you get employers and governments working together you kind of hit a sweet spot and i think the the vaccines are a great example of that there was a real public need and urgency and you had private businesses with all of their expertise and their technology. And when you had those groups working together with universities, you come up with um, a product in a really uh, compressed time frame. And I think that shows what is possible. Um, and for me, net zero is that kind of similar thing to the vaccines. There is an urgency about it. There is a real public need and a public benefit. Um, and government need this to happen, but also employers, um, businesses need and want to be involved in this as well. So I do think it's that everybody needs to work together. Um, for, for net zero, I take us right back to the beginning with the material strategy. There are lots of elements of this that are nobody can fix on their own. Uh, and materials is such a key part of it. So if we look at electrification, what are the materials we need to 
provide the electricity for all of these things that we want to electrify in the future? And that's a really um, hard uh, answer to that question because we don't have those materials. So how are we going to manage that? If we look at um, how do we create the wind turbines that we need, well, to create wind turbines, we need steel. And to create steel, we need to use carbon. So we need to invest carbon in creating a net zero future. And that's a really difficult conversation to have. And you kind of mentioned protesters and the public and, and how do we have that kind of conversation? So I think it's, um, it is very similar to the vaccines in terms of that public need, but we need a really good, strong um, input from, from businesses. And it's everybody's responsibility as well. It's not just kind of one or other. We, all, we are really all in this together. Um, and Catherine, do you see differences in innovation specifically for sustainability and net zero? Yeah, the, the, the approach um, that I just wouldn't to share with you today is, you know, net zero is absolutely at the forefront of the work we're doing. And we're measured on it by our funders, by the government, quite rightly. Our country has um, made strong ambitions and commitments. One of the things that we're doing is looking at the impact of manufacturing in terms of, as, as Emma just said, on the carbon. So at the moment, you know, manufacturing is 10% of UK's GDP. But the embodied emissions that our sector produces accounts for up to about 43% of the UK's total emissions, which is not a good place to be. So one of the things we're endeavouring to do is, is work together. Um, I, I maybe smile when Emma said the UK loves regulation, but what we actually are trying to do is find a process about measuring these emissions because again a lot of companies don't know the true impact of their operations so we're working with organizations such as BSI and DEFRA um, in terms of measuring these emissions we just published a document which I'm happy to share afterwards on uh, on this we called it the embodied emissions report so that's one thing that we're looking at doing um, and of course, um, a, a, a national manufacturing and material strategy must incorporate the net zero impact, you know, and the sustainability impact. Emma just touched on um, wind turbines, of course, um, on the composite side of things, we're working very closely with my counterpart at the, another catapult, the offshore uh, renewable energy catapult in terms of working with uh, wind turbine manufacturers on using different types of materials and that's quite active but again remember what I said right at the beginning we're very good at the design here um, we don't design wind turbines in this country they're all imported all the design and it's built to print by some great companies who've invested in this country but we should be doing more of that early stage stuff so that's one other approach I would take on the all-important net zero. And then the other thing, of course, is energy usage. How can we help manufacturers reduce reduce their energy impact and energy use? So that, you know, you mentioned steel. I mean, that's a huge sector and, and there's so much work that can be done there. Well, something you said that really stood out, stood out to me, which is that, and I think this is a very important difference between innovation for net zero and, and previous innovation, which is that there are different metrics. It's not just about return for shareholders, return on investment. It's not just about the size of a company. There's actually a whole new set of metrics about, well, carbon for a start, but also just um, sustainability in other ways. You know, are we are materials ethically sourced? And, and that's quite, it's, it's kind of a different way of thinking, isn't it? And Emma, perhaps this is something you come across, that there's this whole different set of values that have to come with this innovation that perhaps people aren't used to. Do you see, what do you see there? 
indeed, and and people when you say sustainability, often people just think environment. Or sometimes people will think economic sustainability, but that social element of sustainability is really important. And I think it's um, it, it's not something that we've been unaware of up till now. I think people are very mindful often where their where their products are coming from and and who is making them and and how uh, that impacts those people um, as, as well as um, themselves as well. But indeed, it, it gives you a very clear measure. If you look at true sustainability in those three elements, environment, economic and social, it gives you a very clear focus and a clear lens on the products that we're, that we're having. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of, um, of reuse and repair as well. So as well as developing lots of new things, um, how do we take that design capability we have in the UK and develop things that people can more easily repair, can reuse, so we're not throwing things away or needing to recycle in kind of, energy heavy processes all of the time as well so that there's all of those elements come together as well but that's also there's a there's a, also a shift in attitude there which is that innovation has always been seen as you said about the new shiny things and actually or you know a huge amount I mean, we know this you know you can see it in the in the energy sector that the most important thing that could happen is insulating homes and yet no, you know insulating homes is not generally seen as a sexy topic people want to invent a new widget but actually what really gets things done like you say there is you know perhaps we just design something so it can be reused but that it isn't always seen as a um you know the 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 cutting edge but actually it should be seen as the cutting edge because it's not straightforward and it and that's what's going to shift the dial absolutely and if uh, i think back to my kind of grandparents generation that uh kind of 40s that kind of uh, World War II uh, type generation, they were incredibly innovative. They'd have not a lot and they'd work out ways to do things using the materials and the resources that they had. And that innovation in the process and the way they worked was really impactful. And we need to think really carefully about that element as well, um, rather than it need, always needs to be a, a new thing that, that we have. I love I love the idea of innovation not just being new widgets. I'm all on board with that. So um, for both of you then, so if someone out there, you know, listening has an idea for something, you know, either there's some innovate they've got an idea and they want to develop it, or they think, you know, they need some they need some kind of innovation to, to fill this gap. How do they get? Have you got any advice for people saying, well, I need some innovation either to do it or I need someone else to do it? How do I how do I get started? What help is out there for me? Uh, Catherine, perhaps first. Yeah, well, one of the suggestions I'd make is um, try and make sure they really understand their problem. Now, that doesn't they don't have to do that alone. Um, it depends on the size of the company, but with the SME community, for example, um, our centres, and I know Innovate UK and other organisations have SME um, support organisations. So ours is called SME Connect. So what our engineers would do, actually, is would sit down with that company and really understand the problem they're trying to solve um, and sometimes it can be as easy if it's maybe some kind of digital um, enable uh, enhancement. It's sometimes as easy and as cheap as just changing a dial on a machine that can really substantially change things they're doing. So sometimes you do need that detached pair of glasses, which is what our teams do. And, you know, we're not a consultancy. We're a government organisation. So the people from the catapult are here to help. So that's one one thing. Uh, the other thing is, I talked a bit earlier about the convening power that the government has, but also we do do a lot of work with businesses from lots of different sectors. So we, there's an amazing amount of 
crossover um, technology and expertise that we can help with. So somebody, we do a lot of work, for example, with the construction industry. There might be some techniques they can learn from the automotive or um, aerospace industry, just as Emma said, you know, on electrification, there's a lot of need for lightweight materials and different technologies that we didn't know we need. need. So they can learn from, from other companies. That's another way they can get help. Um, but also, you know, I think most importantly is to make sure they understand their problem and, and we can help them with that in terms of understanding what is the problem they're trying to solve. Brilliant. And Emma, what, what advice would you have for someone who's, you know, wants some innovation to happen? Uh, again, I would echo everything Catherine has just said. There's lots and lots of places for help, um, be it through the catapults, your local university, organisations like the Federation of Small Businesses, um, Chambers of Commerce, all of those kind of local business groups. Just kind of reach out um, to people. There's there's lots and lots of ways that you can get that help. Um, I, I think Catherine's advice on the problem is really, really important. But, but also look at the culture inside your organisation as well. And have you got any internal barriers that you can actually be looking at addressing that mean when you get that support, you're going to be able to, um, to embrace it? Brilliant. OK, well, we are approaching the end of our time. But just before we finish, I, if, if both of you, so this, this is becoming a regular question now, but, you know, if I gave um, both of you or each of you individually um, access to the big, you know, billboard in Piccadilly Square for a day and you could put one message on it that you want the world to see about this topic or something around this topic, some misconception that needs correcting or a message that needs to be heard, what would you put on your billboard? Uh, Catherine, you can go first. Well, I'm not sure this would work, but I, I've got a new word that we're liking, we like to use in the catapult, which is all about green shoring. So um, there was an inter article in the Sunday Times this weekend uh, where this was talked about. So it's all about new, maybe new, new materials, new processes, but it's all about low energy consuming, consuming materials processing. Maybe one day there can be green steel. So I think my billboard would have something around that, but obviously it would need good graphics and good clear explanation. I love that dictionary definition of a new word. I'm all on board for that. I, I will allow that on the billboard. Uh, Emma, how about you? Um, I think I would do something um, just to try and share the message that this is everybody's responsibility and we all need to change how we live um, to address it. Is this isn't the government's issue or big business. Actually, this is everybody. Uh, so I'd try and do something. We get some very creative people to help me deliver that message uh, in a really impactful way. Brilliant. Well, we have got to the end of our time. So thank you very, very much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you both. So thank you to Catherine Bennett um, from the High Value Manufacturing Catapult and Emma Wilcox uh, from the Sustainable Development Group at IOM3. And also thank you to all of the audience for listening. I hope you've taken something useful away from that. Goodbye. Thanks once again to the sponsors of this episode, BPI Cam and Satala. You can read, watch and learn more about their work and about the full Material Change Resourcing Net Zero digital series by going to materialchange.iom3.org. And don't forget to visit contentwithpurpose.co.uk or find us on social to check out more of our podcast collaborations.